This morning we continue our Lenten series, Portraits of Repentance. This Lent we are devoting ourselves to the events of Holy Week and taking a deeper dive into the events of that week. A significant portion of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are devoted to the period of time between Palm Sunday and Easter. By focusing on the end of Matthew's Gospel, we will linger with these key events and some key people and how they uniquely call us to repentance. The word repent literally means to turn. It is to move in a new direction. How might we leave the things of old and step into the new thing that God is doing in our lives for God is always doing a new thing, forming and shaping God's people. Here's what our Lenten journey looks like. Each week we are focusing on one person in the Holy Week story as an invitation to repentance as we consider how they might give us an insight to ourselves. And then on Wednesday nights, you are invited to gather for dinner and further study as Alan Hilton leads us in a continued exploration about the particular person that we are studying and considering. Last Wednesday night's dinner and gathering with Alan with a room full of friends around tables uh, was a wonderful way to build relationships and to be intentional about our formation. Our hope is that we will all engage at some time this deliberate Sunday-Wednesday rhythm this Lent, and that we will come out of this 40-day journey changed. A bit of context for today's passage. On a Thursday night before his crucifixion, Jesus was preparing to say farewell to those whom he loved. With the knowledge that he would soon be departing from this world, Jesus gathers with his friends one last time. We learn at the beginning of chapter 26 that the chief priests and elders were looking for a way to arrest Jesus and to kill him, but they don't want to do it during the Passover celebration for fear that the people will riot. So they operate in stealth and bring Jesus to the Jewish high priest Caiaphas, the individual we focused on last Sunday and Wednesday. Today, we will focus on Judas. Storm clouds are gathering. As Jesus meets with his disciples one evening in an upper room, it is an intimate meal between close friends who have been on quite a journey together. Our text finds us at the start of the meal with the disciples gathering around a table to celebrate the Passover feast. Earlier, Jesus had washed the disciples' feet, teaching them a final lesson about service. Now, Jesus breaks the festive atmosphere with a prediction of betrayal. Let's turn our attention now to the reading of God's word this day. Matthew 26, beginning with verse 14. Then one of the 12, who was called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I betray him to you? They paid him 30 pieces of silver, and from that moment he began to look for an opportunity to betray him. On the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where do you want us to make the preparations for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is near. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover meal. 
When it was evening, he took his place with the 12 disciples, and while they were eating, he said, truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. And they became greatly distressed and began to say to him one after another, surely not I, Lord. He answered, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that one by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that one not to have been born. Judas, who betrayed him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. He replied, You have said so. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Lord, what a privilege it is to be in friendship with you, to have fellowship with you. Breathe your very life, love, and peace into our hearts, minds, and souls, we pray. Thank you for your extravagant love. Speak to us words of life for our benefit and for the sake of others, we pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. The Passover meal with its bitter herbs and lamb commemorates the story of the Exodus in which the Israelites were freed after many decades from slavery in Egypt. Passover is a sacred time for a Jew. It is a time to look back, to look back at the biblical account of the Israelites' redemption and release from the 400-year grip of being trapped in miserable Egyptian slavery. And it is a time to look forward, to look forward to the time when the Messiah will come and usher in an unprecedented era of blessing. It may well be that the group talked about many things that night, but Matthew begins with Jesus' announcement of betrayal. His prediction at the meal comes as a surprise to everyone. They do not expect betrayal to come out of their tight-knit group. The disciples are now fully aware that Jesus understands events beyond their comprehension. Matthew emphasizes that there is no doubt that God is in control. Jesus is very clear about his purpose and what the evening will involve. Yet can you imagine the depth of pain that Jesus now carries, including the knowledge of betrayal, the hurt of betrayal, from a trusted friend. Many of us know that pain. We might have expected them to look around the table and wonder who on earth could do such an unthinkable thing, but instead, one after another, they look at themselves and wonder, will I do this? Theologian Dale Bruner writes that what we have in Matthew's account is a set of stories that illustrates the doctrine of our total undependability. Judas wasn't the only one who lets Jesus and others down. Interwoven through the passion narrative is God's sovereign control. Jesus' ministry seems to be unraveling. The religious leaders are plotting to kill him. One will betray him. The other of the 12, the other 11 of the 12 will desert him, and there is no avoiding the cup of wrath. However, Jesus trusts the Father's will to the end. 
Jesus gives his life as a free sacrifice. No one takes it from him. But this does not relieve the burden of human accountability. Here we have the interplay between divine inevitability and human responsibility and the consequences of one's actions, and there will be consequences of Judas's decision. Hundreds of artists have depicted the Last Supper. One painting that caught my attention is the Last Supper by 19th century French painter Pascal Dagnan Bouveret. It's a dark and moody depiction of this intimate setting between close friends. Notice the disciples on the right and how they are engaged with one another and with Jesus. Likely, Judas is the one who is depicted there to Jesus' left, sitting very close to Jesus. Jesus said that he would be betrayed by the one who dips his hand into the bowl with me. To share a bowl with Jesus meant that you were sitting in a place of honor and trust. It's easy to vilify Jesus, or excuse me, Judas. Easy to vilify Judas. But he was in Jesus' innermost circle of friends, chosen by Jesus to follow him. All of this makes his betrayal more heartbreaking. The gospel wants all of those who have been betrayed by someone they trusted to know that Jesus, the with us God, was betrayed too and knows the anguish of betrayal. We don't know a lot about Judas, but what we have and know is a sad and difficult story. Judas is challenging. He's kept me awake a couple of nights this week. His name is now synonymous with the worst betrayal in human history, Judas Iscariot. Just saying his name leaves a bitter aftertaste. I'd be surprised if any of you, when choosing names for your children, gave any thought to naming your child Judas. There's a website that trends and graphs baby names by popularity through the years. The name Jill, for example, peaked in the 60s and 70s. The name Judas is a flat line. <laughs> he was close to Jesus. He, Jesus, and the disciples trusted him. For three years, Judas has been Jesus' near constant companion. He and the other disciples left everything behind to follow Jesus. They have been stretched, risked their lives, live large, and awakened every day, eager to spend time with Jesus. But in spite of all he heard, in spite of all he saw, in spite of Jesus himself, Judas's understanding of Jesus is shallow and faulty. Unlike all of the other disciples at this intimate meal, Judas responds to Jesus as rabbi instead of Lord. If Jesus is only a teacher, he is fundamentally misunderstood. After the meal, Judas slips over to the chief priests and asks how, money he, how much money he could get to betray Jesus. He is handed over for 30 pieces of silver a relatively small amount of money at the time. We don't know what Judas had in mind. 
Scripture does not spell out the motivations of Judas. We can only speculate regarding Judas's motives, though it seems unlikely that the motive was money alone. Some think that it was because Judas thought Jesus was bound to fail, and he wanted to distance himself from Jesus and to both profit and save himself. Perhaps he felt left out when Peter, James, and John were invited to accompany Jesus up the Mount of Transfiguration and was wrestling with jealousy. Maybe he was disillusioned when Jesus advocates servanthood instead of conquest. Maybe he is impatient at the delay in establishing the kingdom, disappointed in a leader, not moving fast enough and was trying to force Jesus to act with his amazing power, which Judas has witnessed time and time again, to end the Roman domination of Israel. Maybe he is realizing that Jesus' kingdom may even cost him his life. Whatever his motivations, Judas made a terrible choice. We have harsh judgment for those who betray. Betrayal can destroy an individual life, a marriage, a family, working relationships, a whole community of people because trust is violated. It is why reports of parents who abuse the children entrusted into their care sickens us. It's why we are outraged when a soldier puts his country at risk by releasing classified documents. It's why we are repulsed by stories of pedophile coaches and clergy. It is why we can't seem to get over someone close to us betraying our trust and stabbing us in the back. We have always been hard on Judas and his imitators. But could it be that the real reason that we show betrayal so little compassion is that we are afraid that there is, as Craig Barnes calls it, a Judas chromosome embedded in all of us? We hate the idea that we are capable of betrayal. Surely not I, Lord. Surely I will be trustworthy and dependable to the end. One of the messages of the events of Holy Week is that sooner or later we all have the capability to betray Jesus. The line between commitment and betrayal is a thin one. We betray Jesus at home when we hurt those who depend upon us. We betray Jesus in the workplace and classroom when it costs too much to act like a Christian. We betray him before a watching world when Christians fail to love one another. We betray him when we do not serve and protect the poor. We betray him by the hatred of enemies and the withholding of grace. We are all capable of betraying those around us and maybe especially those we have a deeper relationship with. Later in chapter 26, the moment of betrayal happens and it happens with a kiss. Jesus, Judas, 
tells the chief priests and the disciples, or the, the elders, excuse me, that the one that he kisses is the one who is to be arrested. So Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss, which is a sign of friendship. However, instead of a disappointment speech, what is Jesus' response? Incredibly, Jesus calls Judas friend. Friend, do what you have to do, says Jesus. It's an astounding response. If you've ever been forgiven deeply, you recognize the power of that kind of love. I'd like to share with you a legendary story from the athletic conference that I am most familiar with, the SEC. The conference that all of you Longhorn fans are joining this particular year. Punt Bama Punt is the nickname given to a specific football game between my alma mater, Auburn University, and the University of, Am of Alabama during an intense rivalry game that happens every year called the Iron Bowl. In early December 1972, Alabama was undefeated. <laughs> so tiring. <laughs> <laughs> and the number two team in the nation with a 10-0 record under coach Bear Bryant. Alabama came into the, into the game as a 16-point favorite over the Auburn Tigers. And after three and a half quarters, it appeared that that point spread was, that 16 point, point spread was gonna be spot on as Crimson Tide led Auburn 16 to nothing with 10 minutes remaining in the game. Auburn scored a field goal, making the score 16 to three. But then the unimaginable happened. On two consecutive drives, Alabama punter Greg Gant had two punts blocked by the same Auburn linebacker and both were returned for a touchdown. The most glorious thing ever. <laughs> In 2010, ESPN ranked this game as the eighth most painful outcome in college football history. <laughs> Alabama punter Greg Gant led the SEC in punting for three consecutive years. He went on to punt for the New York Jets. However, look at his obituary. The first paragraph of his obituary, released by the Associated Press, printed both in the Boston Globe and the New York Times, bears witness that for many, Gant is most remembered for having two punts blocked in a loss to Auburn, that he is probably most remembered, in other words, for failure. I wonder how many of us would want someone to pick out a single event in our life, in particular if it's an event that you are not particularly proud of, and to say that defines who you are, who you always have been, and who you will always be. Failure shapes our lives, and sometimes our failures are more memorable than our successes. Judas is one whose life was shaped by failure. It's what we primarily know about Judas from scripture, isn't it, that he failed. Friends, think about your worst failure. 
Think about the one thing that instantly makes you feel regret and shame. That's how Judas was feeling when Jesus calls him friend. That same mercy is available to us. For we do have times of failure. Maybe some of you are knee deep in it right now. Are you failing to keep a promise? Are you failing to accomplish what you know that God wants you to do? Are you caving under pressure and failing morally or ethically? Are you chronically failing to love and forgive others, including or most especially those closest to you? Jesus knows your whole story and loves you anyways. In God's eyes, what is most precious and memorable about you is not your failure. Later, when Judas realizes what he has done, he will try to undo it. He'll try to walk it back, but it will be too late. Jesus, Judas will go to the temple and confess his sin to those who hire him, but he will find no forgiveness. He'll throw down the 30 pieces of silver and unable to live with himself, he will take his own life. Turning inward, Judas was overwhelmed by the gravity of what he had done and made a tragic choice. He's a tragic figure in scripture. Many of us, like Judas, have secrets too shameful to tell. What act of betrayal will you still not forgive yourself for? Could this Lent be a time to leave the things of old, to lay down heavy burdens of shame and of guilt, of ill feelings towards someone who has failed or betrayed you, and finally be set free? To reach out to someone for help with what has the potential to eat you alive. Friends, no one is out of reach of God's friendship and grace. That's the only hope most of us have. We who have received such unbelievably extravagant mercy, we are now called to give mercy to others. One of the earliest, earliest charges against Jesus was this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. He still does. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Merciful God, thank you that you see the traitor in each of us and you love us still. We are so unworthy of such a great love. May a love so pure change our lives. Lord, help us to be a friend who loves as you loved at the Last Supper, a friend who loves to the end even when love is refused. Help us to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. Give us grace to live your gospel, we pray. And all of God's people together we say, amen. amen.